My plan today was to uh, to um, uh, talk about uh, three things: um, legal changes uh, and what I call a structural mechanism, which is not a very beautiful term, but I will give a reason uh, and a couple of reasons why I think it's uh, it it's a concept that doesn't work. And uh, then, um, so I start with um, a bit of fragmentation in different areas of law, discourses of law, and uh, and before I talk about this um, structural mechanism in a Dalit situation, which basically means that, uh, which is which is basically a concept to talk about how upward social mobility coexists with enduring atrocity. Um, that term could also, I mean, one could also introduce many other uh, explanations, and it's possible that one could uh, argue that um, the rural hierarchy has vanished, which is what um, uh, James Manor has uh, has argued. Um, uh, and it could be interesting to develop that kind of uh, argument. But my uh, presentation and the material that uh, I, I will be presenting shows uh, not such an optimistic um, uh, situation. Uh, so. Um, so uh, I will um, before I, I start I could say I mean a few things about myself I come from a department which has uh, an emphasis on policy analysis uh, but over the course of doing work in this uh, field I've done uh, ethnographic research but also so I've been using both political ethnography interviews along with uh, uh, analysis of uh, official documents uh, so, which might explain the the, um, the approach. Uh, so, my uh, to start with the legal developments, um, one could talk about uh, about uh, the legal developments of for the schedule cost of their uh, independence with uh, Mark um, Gallanter's term, uh, compensatory uh, discrimination. That one should redress the social injustices in, uh, inflicted on, on the shadow caste or on shadow tribes or, dry, uh, or the Dalits more generally and Adivasis. Uh, but I, I think um, one could also use uh, ethnographic materials to explain and, and to, uh, to make sense of that in a slightly different way as a story about struggles for up, upward social mobility. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, as we talk about, or as I talk about law, I want to. I think uh, what I would like to do is to uh, uh, distinguish between the constitutional law, with the which asserts the uh, fundamental principles, and civil law, which has an emphasis on access to temples or uh, civil liberties. So it's a place of worship that is in fo uh, focus. Uh, or uh, public <coughs> space, and then criminal law uh, as a possibility to punish. And each of these uh, domains of law have their own concepts and also implications, and 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 which are which I think has implications for for the way in which uh, uh, for, for the d discourses that surrounds uh, the uh, state of Dalits. So one could see in the post-colonial period. Um, a lot of uh, court cases uh, relating to Article 16, and not only court cases, but also several constitutional amendments. So one could one could say, I mean, Article 16 uh, says uh, equality of opportunity matters, or that's the principle, 
uh, that um, equality of oppor uh, opportunity should uh, be uh, sh uh, relevant in public employment and that all citizens uh, should uh, should have this equality of opportunity and then in subclass uh, 4 one introduces the famous term which is used um, in each and every newspaper in India almost uh, reservation and what is interesting to see is how, how um, the, I'm not a lawyer but um, the way uh, the politics has been developing this this article when you can see uh, uh, or I see it as an interesting thing that one has introduced new subclasses under article uh, 164 uh, and in um, 1995, one introduced uh, subclass 4A, and in 2001, one inc uh, inserted uh, with a new constitutional amendment a specification in 4A, and in 2000, the year before the uh, insertion in 4A, one had a new constitutional amendment. Uh, so, in a sense, one could see this as an expansion of a uh, discourse on on equality of opportunity and reservation. And there are a number of uh, legal issues and there one could see many of these um, these struggles as, as a struggle for upward social mobility. And one could also see this as, uh, I mean, with a lot of dial dialectics between courts and, and uh, parliament with a number of court cases uh, from Punjab and and so on. But, uh, but what I think uh, it also shows is is a struggle for upward social mobility and an expansion of uh, within that article and an expansion of that approach. Moving to a new, um, a different, um, different area, one has untouchability, and historically that was a matter of temple access. It's still, in a sense, a matter of uh, temple access, uh, but it's conceptualized within, uh, I think civil law or as a matter of civil rights so at uh, in the independence movement uh, and with Gandhi as we <laughs> as some of you know uh, much better than I do it was a struggle for uh, I mean the focus what was in focus was temple access and it was framed within a discourse of religion and untouchability so historically the concept of uh, and, and uh, historically there has been a correspondence, uh, which is still the case, uh, between uh, untouchability as a concept, which is in a sense reproducing a discourse of civil rights, and, uh, and, and which has this focus. One, one could see um, Article 17, which is abolishing uh, untouchability as, a, as a, uh, involving a number of discourses. It's, a, it's not a very logical um, article. Uh, there are logical contradictions in it. It emphasizes that it's abolished and then uh, that uh, it's forbidden and then it's unpunishable. And it's, uh, someone could see this as a uh, performative article and, uh, and a bit superficial. Uh, not, it's not only superficial, it was superficial as a, as a legal approach. Uh, then one tried to uh, to develop this uh, approach by introducing uh, Untouchability Offences Act, uh, but that st still had this focus on uh, access to uh, public space, um, and uh, and 
uh, one knows from an uh, early court case in Karnataka that uh, uh, in 57 that, um, uh, that the uh, judge argued that uh, the Constitution and the Untouchability Offenses Act uh, had nothing really to offer in terms of, of uh, definitions of untouchability. Uh, so, uh, but still, uh, it's an era of legislation which has been developed, and, uh, and in '55, one had uh, understood this uh, and relabeled it as civil rights law, uh, civil rights act. The point uh, that I wanted to emphasize is that um, over the course of this uh, period, one had a problem with hydrogen atrocities, particularly in Bihar, with a number of large atrocities. Uh, and, and although the police were implicated in many of these uh, massacres, um, the police also had some genuine problems in how to address these large atrocities. So, in, uh, and, um, and one, um, because the available uh, uh, law was not uh, useful to address these uh, well-organized attacks. Uh, and as a response to many of these uh, um, uh, atrocities and the problem, um, one organized in the mid-1980s uh, a committee to design a more adequate piece of legislation. And it's interesting to see how that uh, committee started their uh, discussions. Because the two lawyers from, from um, from uh, the mm. ministry uh, started by asking how should we define untouchability. Then there was a public uh, uh, or uh, a public servant from uh, South India, P.S. Krishnan, who also participated in, in, in this uh, committee who said that this is not a matter of uh, untouchability, this is atrocity, so that the question should be what is atrocity? And what uh, what I think is significant in this uh, I mean this small conversation is is the way in which one adopts a new term, uh, which which enables a discursive break. Uh, uh, it's not only a change of uh, uh, from from uh, untouchability to atrocity, but it's also it's also in adopting the term atrocity. One reinforces an approach to uh, criminal law. So it's it's uh, it's um, uh, it's uh, uh, it, uh, it's it, it uh, it, it's a, a new approach with which is more comprehensive, and which outlines and uh, lists a number of atrocities as you all of you might know very well. Uh, so one uh, had this act, uh, Prevention of Atrocity Act from 1989, which, which specifies mm -hmm. a number of these atrocities. And what is important here is that uh, those who were part of it, were uh, of designing this, were also people who were very, uh, 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 who knew the field very well and who knew precisely the type of atrocities that could happen. So it could be specified. So then one has talked about three uh, areas of law and one could ask uh, if focusing on this whether we are locked in discourses and one could ask questions like does law empower Dalit movements, uh, does uh, law transform cost, 
the slow simple foreground cast uh, if it was backgrounded f uh, before uh, and I think it's um, uh, one could say yes and no to all of these questions in a sense I think more uh, what is more interesting to is or f uh, one way to make sense of this is to look at some of the ethnographic experiences or the experiences that many Dalit activists have. So in the ne next couple of minutes, I, was, I wanted to talk a little bit more about case studies and new approaches to understand caste dominance. So, uh, so it's on this background that I wanted to introduce this term, uh, which is uh, not a very beautiful term, but structural mechanism in the Dalit situation, which is, which could be understood as uh, upward uh, social mobility coexist with uh, enduring atrocity. So one could ask, uh, one could see this as an as a as a red. Uh, as a re uh, rejection of the pro of a more complex problem, but still, uh, it's a team within uh, the Dalit movement, as I have learned it. It's also a team that constantly comes up. Uh, and when I started doing my uh, field work in South India in 2003, uh, as an field student, I I was told about how uh, uh, the upper caste will often. Uh, uh, strike back if if Dalit uh, uh, if Dalit came up and made uh, demands or or uh, got uh, became more affluent. Uh, and uh, what I realized was that I was constantly coming back to the same type of statement in various forms. And uh, and uh, looking at some of these uh, 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 cases from Andhra Pradesh, it came uh, in as one as one explanation to what is uh, going on uh, among Dalits and, and the kind of appro approach and, and the kind of situation in which Dalits are, are placed. Uh, so, um, so one could see this partly also as a, as a result of a political articulation among Dalit activists, or at least that's the, that's the way, um, that's my observation and I think um, and I think it makes sense in two ways. Um, it gives one explanation that could actually, uh, uh, that in a sense also could make sense of uh, the schedule the creation of the schedule cost uh, and schedule tribes prevention of atrocity act as a reconfiguration to this structural mechanism. The discursive break from untouchability or civil rights law, which was not, uh, which could not be sustained in order to uh, relate and address the situation for the Dalits. Uh, resulted in this discursive break. One could see this also as a reconfiguration uh, relating to this theme of, of what social mobility uh, coexisting mm -hmm. with enduring atrocity at the same time as some of the discourses from law reinforces this consciousness about this. So that's the first thing in a sense that it makes some sense of these discursive breaks. The second thing is that uh, is that um, one could uh, use, or I, I will use it as one perspective to uh, uh, to analyze cost dominance as a possibility to specify the Dalit question. Uh, this is a bit abstract, but one of the heroes uh, uh, in the um, uh, Dalit movement in Andhra Pradesh, one of the 
leaders, uh, significant leaders in the mid 80s is Buja Tarikam, who in an interview when I asked him about uh, the massacres in, uh, in coastal Angra, Chundur and Karamshida asked him why, why did these upper caste uh, uh, attack the Dalits? And he was saying um, that uh, uh, they're attacking the Dalits to teach them a lesson. And that it's only uh, an untouchable who would understand the implications of what it is to be taught a lesson, uh, which in a sense uh, uh, brings in another perspective, which is uh, the, the idea of untouchability. Uh, but um, uh, yes, so in a sense, I think. Uh, uh, one political leader and the one who have been observing the movements in many, uh, several cases uh, has some insights which are uh, uh, which would be very useful for us or for one trying to make sense of these uh, cases to that could correct uh, uh, our um, our engagement with the with the theory of, uh, of uh, with the scholarship on costs and. So one could see this if we uh, abstract it. Um, one could see this as one Dalit question, and one could ask the question: What characterizes <coughs> the Dalit situation of oppression in India? The answer could be upward social mobility, and Dalit assertion coexist with atrocity. So, um, so this is one way to spell it out. Uh, then, uh, so then we could spell it out as as one question because we have heard a lot from the literature about the cost question and I think the cost question is engaged with with a very different thing I mean the scholarship has been uh, in anthropology particularly has been interested in uh, in how cost has been constituted and uh, in the constitution of costs uh, that we learn from Louis Dumont's old work we learn about some distinctions which are essential to the production of costs. Then we have learned from this uh, literature that the more has been uh, criticized heavily by a number of scholars, including Nicholas Dirks. I think, in a sense, what Nicholas Dirks does is precisely the same thing to ask how cost is produced. So the cost question is just given in two different ways. Uh, uh, Nicholas Dirks talks about how the colonial governmentality in a sense uh, reinforced uh, cost and in almost invented cost or uh, created cost in, in its modern form. Uh, so these point to uh, these two point to uh, uh, different origins of costs. So then one could see uh, these as two perspectives. How is cost produced, which is the cost question we have hierarchy, purity, imp uh, impurity, or colonial governmentality, and the Dalit question, how, which is what I've been suggesting, uh, suggesting uh, how could we characterize the Dalit situation? Um, and, and we have the answer in what I call with this uh, uh <laughs> term, structural mechanism. Uh, yes, so, um, so I'm not saying that we are like crying Srinivas, uh, uh, um, uh, Dirks aside. They have some relevance, but but 
but it's an obstacle really to start with with uh, with uh, this question when we should when we should engage with uh, uh, experiences that uh, many of these movements have been going through uh, because it, it gives us a completely different starting point so then uh, uh, I could say Two two words about why I'm using why I'm using this term mechanism. I'm using it uh, partly inspired by by um, uh, a literature that you might know in uh, analytical sociology, which is trying to get away from deductions and and uh, and uh, laws covering laws models uh, and talk more about how concrete processes change, uh, causal chains are operating in a sense. It's an inspiring literature, but it's also very um, uh, analytical and a bit uh, and removed from many uh, uh, many ethnographic uh, experiences. But some, uh, but uh, some of the attempts within this tradition has been has been um, promising and. Um, one of the so-called weaker um, versions of that would be from Jon Elster, who's been uh, uh, who's been saying that one could find many mechanisms in proverbs and sayings, uh, and we could often see that uh, among people uh, we could talk about how haste ma makes waste, or the one who hesitates hesitates is lost. So his talks, uh, he, he tries to engage with mecha mechanism in in everyday uh, sayings as uh, as some uh, as something that comes as pairs and which gives a commonsensical uh, explanation. Uh, I think that's uh, for me. Uh, that's one way to. Uh, that's that's the background for for uh, suggesting this. For using that term mechanism, then the problem is that, in the sense, uh, this covering law model is uh, always behind. So, when suggesting this, uh, <coughs> I, I, I don't think it's that. Uh, I think it's perhaps more useful to see uh, mechanism as as one perspective. So it's one perspective and a way to engage with the material. And and to talk about causality and and so on could uh, quickly create some misleading mm -hmm. understandings. So um, so uh, in a sense, one uh, um, one could try to engage more, and that's what I'm trying to do to to try to work uh, with the, with the local um, observations. And and would uh, and rel uh, which have been uh, which are relevant in this field. Okay, so um, uh, then having talked about that um, uh, term, um, one could see in in many of these attacks uh, uh, also a different pers perspective that uh, that. Um, um, uh, many of these attempts uh, and t attacks were uh, were results of uh, of uh, political connections in in uh, in these villages, which emboldened the upper caste to to um, 
to carry out their attacks. And Andhra Pradesh one has uh, at least three major atrocities which have been uh, important for the movement. One is one is Kanchi Cherla, Cherla, which is uh, an old case. I don't know too much about it, but uh, it was a matter of it was a love affair between a boy and a girl, <coughs> and the landlord uh, uh, made a point um, uh, by burning the boy alive in the in in the front of the village, and that that case was. Uh, was uh, in a sense um, uh, something that uh, that um, um, that triggered an, uh, a lot of mobilization in the movement. And uh, uh, a leader like Bujar Tarikam was was quite young at that age, and he was part of that movement in uh, trying to address Kanchi uh, Cherila. Uh, but the two main movements that I've been working with and which show this uh, perhaps uh, the relevance of the political power is Karam uh, Chedu uh, and Chundur. And uh, it's interesting to see how uh, you could see um, that uh, Telugu Deshan Party was established a couple of years before the, the attack in, uh, in Karam Chedu. And Telugu Deshan Party was a Kama party and, uh, and uh, and um, uh, the uh, son-in-law of the f uh, founder of the Telugu Party uh, lived in Karamchedu. So the founder of the, uh, NT Ramarao, who is the founder of the Telugu Deshan Party, he he um, uh, he knew people in that village, and we know that. Uh, that there was a vacuum and political vacuum in Andhra Pradesh at that time. Congress uh, had lost credibility, and Telugu Nation Party moved in and gained power in 1983, uh, which is uh, just a year after its uh, uh, creation. Uh, and this, uh, in, in a sense, what we see in uh, Karam Chedna Chinder is that political power emboldens dominant costs. Uh, so in a sense, we have been talking about this structural <coughs> mechanism in a sen since we could talk about uh, how um, oppression matters, but also wh what we see is, um, is, a, is a different pattern. Let's uh, look a little bit more. I mean, you are a South Asian specialist, so perhaps uh, it's uh, unnecessary to show the map, but we are lo located in Southeast in Andhra Pradesh. And then, um, uh, Karamchedu is located in Prakasham, which is the horizontal arrow, and then uh, Chundur in Guntur. And um, Rohit Vamula uh, was from uh, Guntur district, uh, but not from, not from Karamchedu. Uh, so, um, what we see in, um, in Karamchedu is, uh, is uh, uh, this was massacre that w that was carried out after a number of uh, tussles between uh, the Marigas and the Dalits in the village and the uh, dominant castes. Um, and um, uh, on, uh, in July 1985, six Marigas were were killed, and the entire um, uh, uh, Dalit settlement escaped and ran to a neighboring city called Cherila. And in Cherila, uh, they set up a camp where 
uh, for the victims and uh, an activist from the whole state came to uh, to that camp and also from neighboring states from Tamil Nadu and Karnataka to uh, come forward and and to support the victims but that camp also became a site for uh, Dalit assertion because at that time one had um, one had uh, 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 one had a very strong Maoist movement which didn't really talk too much about the cost but this gave uh, leaders like Buja Tarikam, who we just saw, and, and um, uh, Kati Padmarao, who's actually living in Kerala at that time, an opportunity to uh, organize the, the movement. And these were uh, incredibly skilled leaders uh, who were able to train a, a generation of very, very powerful uh, activists uh, but in a sense, one could see Karim Chedra as, as one starting point for for the Dalit uh, uh, movement, which we call uh, Dalit Mahabsaba. One of the social activists who were not uh, part of that movement, but still uh, uh, part of the Civil Liberties Committee in Andhra Pradesh, uh, K. Balagopal, he talked about how this was um, an event that... Um, that uh, uh, opened their eyes for the cost question because at that that generation, although he was a concerned social activist, he felt he thought that uh, untouchability was something of the uh, that was behind us, something that had disappeared. So Karim Chedu had that was that rupture for the movement and social activists in in Andhra Pradesh uh, that uh, possibly we could see right the right Vamula case today. Uh, and it really pushed the momentum for the Dalit movement and also uh, a number of um, other activists. But we could see how uh, this expression, teaching them a lesson, is uh, uh, is is key to. Uh, uh, I mean, is one of the key expressions. Um, and I have that from uh, from uh, one of the fact-finding reports. Chundur is uh, in a neighboring district in uh, Guntur district and um, it's, uh, um, it's a village which at that time also experienced social developments and the uh, Dalits in that village, uh, the uh, children uh, got more education and also at that time the Dalits were able to uh, get more secure income. They worked in railways and also were um, guards in the in uh, telephone companies and uh, and uh, um, various other uh, government offices, so that uh, income um, and the social developments gave them some confidence. Uh, historically, it used to be the case that Dalits would never never come to this street. This is the main street in uh, in Chundur village, uh, but uh, over the over the course of the 80s, they were coming forward after work and having tea and snacks on this village. So they were sitting and along uh, with uh, with upper costs in that village. Uh, at the same time, in addition to that, so we have this social change, but on top of that, we also have a, a youth movement in the village who is uh, <coughs> learning and being uh, 
inspired by uh, leaders elsewhere in the region. And uh, this movement, um, youth movement, was uh, very um, articulate and determined. And they erected, at the time of uh, Ambed Gersi's century uh, celebration, uh, a tall statue. So I put in one arrow, uh, which you can see in the picture. And what it points to is uh, the uh, statue of Ambedkar, which was erected in uh, 1990. So we are now, I mean, the photo is taken on perhaps uh, 100 meters distance, uh, <laughs> uh, but we could see it. Uh, so it's really a sign of assertion, and we could, sorry, we could see it uh, more clearly here. So the Dalits were living on the right-hand side. Uh, the upper cost settlement was on the left-hand side. Um, and to explain the difference, a widow in the village explain, explained to me uh, that uh, the difference consists in uh, caste Hindus go to temple and Dalits go to church. So that's that's one of the main main differences. Uh, I mean, th these are some of the cultural differences too. So this road is uh, is an important distinction in that village. So the church shrine on this side, on the Dalit side. Pardon? Shrine. Is that a church shrine? Yes. Yes. So it's tall, right? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yes, that's uh, uh, that's correct. And then uh, we have. Uh, so we have this statue, um, which is a tall statue, and, uh, uh, and a clear sign of assertion, uh, as a, uh, and a symbol that it's uh, the right to be visible, and visible part in the village. So, um, so it's quite a it's quite a, a radical transformation. Um, uh, just. Uh, uh, which <coughs> statue expresses, and uh, and um, uh, this was in 1990. What happens um, over the next year is that there are rising tensions, and the summer of 1990, there is a number of um, tensions in the village. Uh, there is a social boycott. Uh, the the villager uh, Dalits weren't asked to come to work in the fields. They had to travel a long way to to come. And the youth move, youths were also correcting the the, um, uh, the Dalit youths were correcting the behavior of uh, um, upper caste boys. For instance, there is a famous in in this in this uh, uh, chain of events. There is one critical episode in the cinema hall where uh, some Dalits were sitting behind uh, a group of uh, upper caste boys, and a, and a leg touched one of the, bo the boys touched uh, the uh, chair in front of him, and he was abused uh, on the spot. Uh, and on that occasion, there was a postgraduate student who raised up and said, "Please do not abuse and use those words." So, in a sense, uh, this was a, a correction in uh, uh, correcting behavior. Uh, this was one of these uh, situations that we had uh, with correcting behavior, and um, the postgraduate student was was targeted uh, extremely afterwards. Uh, he is now a teacher in a neighboring uh, uh, 
city. But on the 6th of August, there was a determination to, uh, to do something with this uh, group of Dalits. And the neighboring villages had also been uh, demanding that the land owning cost in, uh, in Chundur should uh, teach them a lesson. So there were lots of expectations on, on the dominant uh, cost in that village. On, 200, uh, on, on the 6th of uh, August, there was a crowd of more than 200 people marching beyond, uh, passing by, by this uh, police station. So th there are reports about that in the police, uh, 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 in the judgment from 2007 that the police just witnessed people, like a crowd of 200 people, walking with uh, deadly weapons. Uh, 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 just in front of the police station, but the police didn't really do anything. They were dispersing the Dalits by moving into the village and, uh, or the settlement. And uh, they were killed. Eight people were killed in, in that attack on the 6th of August. And uh, some of them were put in gun bags and thrown in the canal. This, this uh, is an extreme instance of violence that uh, this is the one of the... So I've been talking about uh, Karam Chedu and Chundur as two extreme instances that really have been shaping the movement in Andhra Pradesh. Uh, there are new movements coming up on different issues like subcategorization that we know. Uh, but uh, this is one one of the background. Um, uh, this is uh, the background that we have uh, in this state, and the activists are trained and have been uh, trained in issues relating to this and and uh, their their thinking and approach has also been shaped a lot uh, along these lines and with these experiences in mind so we have uh, three uh, important things a social economic change articulate dalit youth movement and a, uh, and a phd student like one who is correcting the behavior a postgraduate student uh, correcting behavior of a ready boy. Uh, so in this village, we had a ready uh, landowning community. Um, at that time, there was also Congress government. The uh, consolation the, and the political context are not so clear as in Karim Chedu, but still the connection, the collaboration with the police is very obvious in Chundur. So there is a, w what we see is a really complicit state uh, yes, so um, uh, just to give you an idea, this is uh, uh, Chundur uh, in between two other villages and uh, members of this uh, village called Modukuru. It's not a very good map, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's a, the point is that, uh, uh, that uh, members of um, the land owning community in Modukuru had been demanding action from Chundur and they were waiting in the fields to take the Dalits who were escaping. So uh, one of these uh, one of these uh, points that we uh, could perhaps learn from this is, um, is to highlight uh, the term dominant cost. Uh, historically that has been uh, associated with uh, one who's not been working on, on uh, Dalit experiences specifically, but we could see this as perhaps w one could ask, would this be a return to the cause question? Uh, 
Um, and in a sense, we could uh, borrow from uh, De Moore, I mean, the way in which he explains attachability in the field that uh, 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 people <coughs> uh, talk, tell me that uh, laws of money are ingrained in their minds. I mean, uh, the upper costs in the village. Uh, so th uh, these are uh, some of the explanations. Um, but in the his uh, around this term dominant cost, uh, there are other terms like Sanskritization, which I, I think it's a very uh, misleading term, and uh, I mean it's it's a problematical term, in in uh, especially in trying to make sense of this. But what one can see is, uh, I mean, rather than talking about what like Dirks does, uh, and in the history of cost, we'll be talking a lot about uh, governmentality. Um, but uh, what one needs to is precisely to do something which is um, not being doing, uh, which is precisely what uh, Foucault <coughs> rejects, which is to retain the uh, distinction between the ruler and the ruled to explain caste violence. And in that, one needs uh, elements like caste relations, which is not what I've been uh, working on specifically, but what we have here is uh, a lot of evidence uh, with um, uh, where the police has been collaborating with with <coughs> uh, attackers. Um, uh, we yes, um, so one of the implications, perhaps, from this is to see that um, uh, in this field, violence is a possibility, and uh, there are a number of expressions to express this. Uh, and uh, like the special public prosecutor told me, uh, it was common to say that uh, one we should make a chinder out of this, which was to uh, come with threats. And, and um, villagers in, uh, for instance, in that uh, village called Modokoru, um, uh, explained. Uh, I didn't spend much time there, but there would be. They explained um, that, uh, uh, and people who have been there feel as, uh, reported they feel that uh, a massacre or an attack could happen any time. So this consciousness about uh, about the possibility of violence is is part of it, and the constellation of uh, the dominant caste and the police and the state is important. So th this, uh, I mean, uh, you might know just as, as much about the Roit Vimula case as I do, uh, but what we see um, here is perhaps a completely different thing, but at the same time, um, we see uh, an expression of cost in an, in, in an institution which shouldn't have it, uh, I mean, where cost shouldn't really matter. Uh, and uh, and um, uh, uh, Reuter Müller had uh, a lot of, the lot of humiliation and was suspended in this case, but he comes, um, he comes from um, uh, S um, uh, from that part of the uh, of the state or the of Andhra Pradesh, where uh, one, one has been going through all these cases, what we what is interesting, and I'm sure you have many uh, ideas about that and observations, 
is how the political power reinforced exclusion in this particular case. Uh, and it's, it's uh, amazing how a central uh, government minister could uh, write several letters to make, uh, to, uh, to make uh, the administration of that uh, university um, aware of their need to, to suspend one student who had been articulated. Okay, so to conclude, I'll come back to this uh, beautiful term, structural mechanism, which I think is one perspective uh, to explain ex em embedded exclusion of Dalits. Uh, in a sense, I think it does some work to uh, <coughs> explain re uh, configurations of law, uh, and it, 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 it helps um, me, at least, to move outside of the established caste literature in order to engage with these cases and number of cases. Uh, there is a Norwegian uh, political scientist who is famous for a slogan uh, in um, election studies called, uh, and that slogan is uh, uh, votes count, uh, resources decide. Uh, in a sense we could see uh, perhaps the same lesson here as cost dominance matters and perhaps the cost dominance is an important uh, concept to um, develop and address, but political power emboldens dominant costs to organize attacks. Uh, that's, the that's one of the decisive elements and lessons in this uh, rather brutal history. Um, so with that, I conclude. <laughs> Thank you very much.